Well, it's not just the truth that they believe. They sing it like they believe it, right? Amen. God still answers prayer. And it's been a great day. Me and my wife have enjoyed just the whole day of being with you. Uh, we do want to say thank you for your hospitality, just putting us up in the Hampton Inn, the gift basket. And my wife is thinking, we got we to gotta eat all these crackers tonight. <laughs> or I got to go buy a, pack, a backpack. But um, we plan on eating them up tonight, though. But we have enjoyed our time here and just today of just getting to know various members of the church and even participating in the a new member coming in and a baptism and just a just a great day and just thinking about guests. And I know sometimes, you know, one of the things that I'm responsible for at Bible Baptist Church is I, I'm over outreach at our church. So it's like I do witnessing training. I'm over door knocking, soul winning at our church and uh, we're out there. And, you know, one of the things that you just have to keep in mind, something I always try to mind our Men and women that go out door knocking is that hopefully we can care more about them than just their response. You know, reaching people has to deal more about just I just care for you more than I just care for your response. And I just think that's a good motivation to have. So when you go to 24 doors and you talk to one person and they don't show up, you can go to next week and go to 24 more doors because you just care for people. And we're just trying to build that kind of spirit up into our church and specifically in the area of outreach, which I'm responsible for. And and God has been working. He's really been working in that way. And just even thinking about the New Year's theme for our church is come heal, come grow, come worship. That's our theme for the year. And we're breaking it down. So now in the first quarter, we're, we're focused on come heal. You know, we're around a lot of broken people. And we're not just talking broken. We're talking about broken hearts. People dealing with some real pains and people carrying some real problems. And, you know, they're on the verge of like, in a sense, just really giving up. And we want to tell them, hey, there's a God who cares. And there's a people at Bible Baptist Church that cares. And not only do we care, but we've sat in the same place they've sat in. We've had some broken hearts in here. And sometimes when people come into Bible Baptist Church, which I've made sense to at Canaan, is that they come in. And it's like, man, you guys look like y'all been perfect all your life. Until they get to know you and say, man, you, you, you mean to tell me that you had some pains and some hurts? You've had your heart broken? And tell me how God healed your heart. And so we're, we're working in that way, and I'm responsible for that aspect as well. So we just wrote a new track for that. And even tonight, I just did a promo video on a, uh, for um, our, out, our upcoming uh, Sunday school lesson that we're doing, they supposed to show it at the church tonight. I'm glad I'm not there. <laughs> I, you know, it's kind of a strange thing. I, I hate to watch myself talk on the screen. So they're showing it in my absence. So that's a good thing. But also too, I want to say about Canaan Baptist is that we've stole, stolen your ideal about family fair. Where y'all have all of the, the fair, what, what do y'all call it? Fall festival, we stole your idea. We call it Family Fair. Now we got Family Fair 2.0 this year. And the interesting thing about it is, is that we had 700 guests. This is just fascinating to us. We just like, you know what? We got all this property here. Let's do something with it. Let's, let's make a fair. And 700 people showed up. 
and God has really used that. And so we're looking forward to it again uh, this year. And it's something that y'all have invested in Bible Baptist Church and didn't even know it. Maybe you did know it. And then I just think about Brother Billy Ingram. You know, the, I met him 12 years ago. The first time I was at Bible Baptist Church, he was preaching. And I was, we were in the activities building. We was getting remodeled and things of that nature. And, and I remember coming up to him a little bit afterward and just like talking to him about preaching. And, and he just kind of said a few things. But you know how it is. You got to talk to uh, 400 people. And I wanted like his whole life right then and couldn't get it. And so he, you know, I, then I come to find out he was coming in under Bible Baptist Church, and then I was seeing him more often and just listening to him preach and was encouraged by that and just really just developed that relationship in that way. And I just thank the Lord for it and just all that he's done in that way. But even tonight, like Brother Billy mentioned, was just to keep the spirit alive. You know, it's been a full day, but you know what? God isn't finished yet. I really believe God has some things that he want to say to you tonight that can be implemented in your life and you can leave here and you can even look forward to even what God want to do even further down the road in your life. And with that in mind, I want you to stand with me and take your Bible and turn to Titus chapter two. Titus chapter two. And the title of the message is change people can see. Change people can see. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that, denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. God, just grateful for how you have already worked. And we're just mindful that we still need your help even tonight. And I pray now that the Holy Spirit would just be present. I pray there just be an alertness and an attentiveness to hear from you, Lord. I pray that there just be an openness to just say, God, whatever you say, that people would have a heart to respond and do whatever you direct them to. And then, Lord, I want to pray that you would help me. Help me to be clear. Help me to be concise. And I just pray that you would help me to really give them exactly what you would have them to have tonight. Lord, I, I really want to honor you. And I just pray that you would help me in that. And then I pray that you would illuminate your word because it's by the word of God that people are saved and it's by your word that you've chosen to change us. And we pray that that would occur tonight and we thank you for it in Jesus name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. When I was thinking about this message, I couldn't help but to think about a particular event that most of us are used to. And it could be considered a, getting a haircut or for women getting your hair done. And I was thinking about that because, as you can tell, I look a little particular about my hair. You know, not anybody can just cut my hair. And just something for Canaan. Um, if you didn't know, black people are very serious about the haircut. <laughs> I'm going to put you all up on a little some inside scoop here. 
very particular about the haircut. And it was passed down to us in that way to be very particular. So the thing about it is that I, I, I'm no different. I, I like to go get my hair cut. And, and, I, and the thing about it is, is that when I go to my barber, I, I had a barber, but he moved to Louisiana. And so I, I'm working in between barbers at this time. So be patient with me. But when I had my previous barber, it was kind of an interesting thing is that Man, he cut my hair just the way I like it. I mean, just, I, I come home and I talk to my wife and I say, she could tell who cut my hair. I, I mean, at first when me and Mandy got married, she would tell me things like this. She didn't understand black culture either. My wife would ask me, let me cut your hair. I'm like, oh man, save our marriage. <laughs> save our marriage. <laughs> I'm like, I don't even know what possessed my wife to think that way. <laughs> Are you think you're going to cut my hair? I, I, I thought she was playing, but she was very serious. Uh, you know, I, I learned a little bit, you know. Her brothers let her cut, let them cut, let her cut their hair. So it was something that they used to, I was like, honey, black people don't do that. <laughs> we, we don't let people cut our hair for fun. This is not fun. And so we were talking, and so I went and got my hair cut, and I showed it to her, and I, I said, well, you know, he did all right, but I got I to gotta fix it, though. I got I to gotta make it exact because uh, he wasn't so precise. It wasn't as clean as I'm used to. And my wife's like, man, it looks good to me. I said, okay. So when I got my new barber, and I, I come home, and I'd be like, do you see the difference? She said, oh, there's a difference. It's like, man, I come in after my new barber. It's like, I don't have to do anything to my hair. I just put my do-rag on and get up in the morning. It's ready to go. And she, she began to notice the difference. But one of the things about when I went to my barber, he, he just automatically expected me come in there needing a haircut. He, he expected me to come in there looking rough. He expected me to come in there feeling rough because your hair is tied to your emotions. Is it? I mean, if you don't have no hair, that's a different issue. <laughs> I mean, you still have emotions, you just don't have no hair, but that's the difference. <laughs> but the thing about it is, is that every time I went to the barbershop, he did not expect me to come in there looking good. He, he didn't not expect me coming in there with my hair already all nice and tight. He expected me to come in there looking like I need a haircut. And like for women, when you go get your hair done and the lady sees you, you're like, girl, it's a mess. And she's like, I know, that's why you're here. <laughs> she expects you to come in there looking a mess. That, that is just part of their job. They are there to help you look better when you leave than when you came. That's just part of it. I, I, I go in there and when I sit down and my barber gets done cutting my hair, I expect to leave with observable, observable changes. I, I mean, I want it to look different. And I want it to look better. And guess what? A good barber, he wants the exact same thing for me. 
He he wants my hair to look good and he wants me to leave better than when I came in. And that's something that Titus brings out in this passage of scripture that we're going to talk about because Paul is writing to Titus. And and Paul tells Titus that he left him in Crete for a specific purpose. He tells us that in chapter one, he tells us that he left him there to establish the churches, to put things in order. In other words, it's more like, hey, Titus, I want you to get God's church in order for a purpose. And then he also told him how to do it. He said by the preaching of God's word. In verses Chapter one, verse three, he tells us that. Then in chapter one, verse five, he tells us what the purpose is. He's the purposes is that they may be changed in a way that honors God and his church. That's the whole objective when you look at it. But that also makes us have the mindset of how did these people look when they came into church? How did these people look? He kind of gives us a small description of them. He said one one thing is that it's evident that they're pagans. They're they're lost people. The other thing about it, he tells us, he said that some of your own people said that you guys are liars. (laughs) Is that interesting? He tells them, hey, your own people says that you're liars. He said you're evil beasts and you're slow bellies. I was trying to figure out what is a slow belly. I didn't figure that out. But I want to know what is a slow belly? But then he also says, some among you are false teachers. And they come from different backgrounds, more like he specifically makes the emphasis about the Jewish background that's among some of these false teachers in this church at Crete. And Paul says, I left you there to establish the church. For what purpose is that though they may come in one way, we are looking for them to go out a different way. I mean, with some very visible, observable changes. I, I love the phrase that a lot of people use when I'm witnessing to them. They say, God, know my heart. And I say this. Well, I'm not God. <laughs> I can only see you. And the thing about it is, is that when God saved us, which we're going to find out in this passage of scripture, he saved us with the objective that we leave different than when we came. He want to make some observable changes in our life. Things that people can see. There's, we represent an invisible God to people who can only see what is observable. And therefore, God has to use us individually to represent an invisible God with some observable, visible changes. And that's what Paul is talking about, even in this passage. And he tells us, how does God do this? He said, for the grace of God has appeared. Verse 11, he says, for the grace of God has appeared. That word appeared is interesting because he's talking about an observable appearance. He said the grace of God has observed, has appeared in a physical way. That's what he's talking about. He said at some point in time. In the Old Testament, God was invisible. The epiphanies, the theophanies that they saw in the Old Testament. Even Moses said, God, I want to see you. God said, "Okay, Moses, I'll put you in a rock, but you can only see my back. So he didn't ever get a physical appearance of God until the person of Jesus Christ. 
And Paul tells Timothy, for the grace of God has appeared. He has made a physical, observable appearance. I'm going to read a passage of scripture for you in John chapter one. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the father, full of grace and truth. John bear witness of, and then verse 16 said, of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. And then in verse 18, he says, no man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten son, which is in the bosom of the father, he hath declared him. It means this, he has visibly made God known. And Paul is telling Titus, that the grace of God has appeared in a very observable manner in the person of Jesus Christ. And he tells us that he has appeared in, a, in, a, in the person of Jesus Christ. And then he tells us, why did he appear? What was his purpose? He said two things. First of all, he came that he might bring salvation. He came for the purpose of intervening in the spiritual condition of sinful human beings. He said he brought salvation with him. He brought forgiveness through the shedding of his blood. It all evolved around the whole event of Jesus, not just the person of Jesus. We're talking about a man, who, a God who became a man, and he lived a sinful life, a, unsin, a, a, a sinless life, not a sinful life. Let me get that correct. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. For 33 and a half years, and he died as a guilty man. He, got, he died for the guilty on the cross. He shed his blood in that purpose. And the Bible makes it very clear that he died for our sins, but he was buried and that he rose again on the third day. This is the event. This is the grace of God that has appeared in a physical way. He was observable to mankind. And he said he came to bring salvation. But for who? Paul tells us in here to all men. He brought this salvation to all men, meaning that it's available to all men, meaning that God's grace accepts people the way they are. That's important. You know, one of the things I found out, even just being in our church and ministering in the church, is that it's very difficult at times to really accept people the way they are without trying to get them to change before the Lord changes them. It is very difficult to do that. Because sometimes you got to put up with somebody cuss words. You got to put up with the earrings and the tattoos. You got you got to put up with all this other stuff. And, and sometimes we're trying to change them before God changes them. Or before the Lord saves them. And that can be difficult. And sometimes it's difficult to find a balance of just working with people in that way. But he says this grace that has appeared, it does save people. It say it's for all people, but that doesn't teach everybody's going to get saved. This is not universal salvation. People are not automatically going to get saved. But it does say this, it is available to all. Every man, every woman can trust Jesus Christ as a personal Lord and Savior, and God will forgive him, and he develop a per personal relationship with Jesus Christ based off the fact, will you place your faith in Jesus Christ alone? 
He tells us the grace of God appeared for that reason. But there's another reason he says the grace of God appeared in verse 12. He said, teaching us that. So he said the grace of God appeared. Jesus appeared to deliver us from the penalty and the power of sin. He said, but it also appeared to teach us. He appeared to teach us. And that word teach means to to guide us and to train us or to counsel us. He appeared for that reason. Jesus Christ teaches us. And you got to think about that. That with the moment we get saved, we come under the tutelage of God through his Holy Spirit and his word to teach us. I, I think of that often because uh, before I was a Christian, I literally did not know where Adam and Eve were at in the Bible. I, hadn't, I was 22 years old before I found out Adam and Eve was in the Old Testament or that they was actually the first two people. I did not even know that. But when Jesus Christ came to my heart, guess what? He began to teach me and he began to instruct me. And that word teach means this. It means to educate, to instruct. It's talking about an ongoing activity. It means to influence the will and action of another person. It has the idea of discipleship. He begins to disciple us and he began to work in us. And he said within that discipleship, That's like a two-sided process, process of becoming less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus Christ. He said it is a process of discipleship. He did not just save us to go about and do our own thing. He saved us to disciple us. Our earthly life is a two-sided process, as mentioned, and it goes on for the rest of our earthly life. And then he tells us, what does this discipleship look like? It's quite interesting because he uses some, he said, there are some negative and there are some positive to this discipleship. And he said, negatively, he said, he teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That, that word deny is not avoid. He said, he teaches us to absolutely purposefully begin to say no to some things. And it means that, hey, you can come with all you have, but you're not going to stay that way. That, that's what he's telling us. He's saying there's going to be some unloading of things. And he said things such as that has ungodliness, things that lack true reverence and a devotion for God. I can honestly say that I had no idea what it really meant to be ungodly. I I don't even think, honestly, to be just fair, I never heard these words until I became a Christian. When I became a Christian and I heard other people talking about faith, I was asking them, how did you know about that? I never heard these words in my community. We never used those terms. I not only begin to hear him as a Christian, I begin to have to learn what does that actually mean? And it means to start to say no to some things that were not reverent or things that committed to my devotion to God. I had to say no to some unhealthy relationships. As a, the truth is, is that all my relationships were unhealthy. And I had to, God had to disciple me. It's almost like he had to teach me how to say no to some friends I had to let go. 
He, he had to teach me to develop a new language. And you can believe I did not used to talk like that. <laughs> this, I did not talk like this. This was not my vocabulary. When I go home talking like this, they're like, um, you sound like a professor. You, man, you've been around a lot of white people. That's how they think. You know what? I, 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 hey, that's a compliment, personally. Because you know what I learned? When the Lord began to tell me to say no to some things, he was also saying, Michael, I'm going to do some things. It wasn't just no. It was like, I'm about to do some things. And he affected every area of my life. And and things that begin to really have an attachment to ungodliness, he had to teach me to say no. I, I didn't say no automatically. He had to teach me. But then he says, denying worldly lusts. Man, what a world we live in, huh? I tell you what, the church isn't exempt. Sometimes we look at this and like, well, a worldly lust out there. It's like the worldly lust is in a lot of our homes. It's in a lot of our homes. Uh, sinful cravings, fleshly lust, youthful lust. And he said, we got to learn to say no to those things and, and put those things away. And, and, and that can be difficult at times. And that can be very challenging depending on your affinity or your connection to those things. It makes it difficult. But Jesus said he wanted to teach us to say no to some things. Hey, parents, let me say this. I hope you have the courage to say no to your children about some things. You can't say yes to your kids on everything. You got to learn to say no. On some things. But then he said, hey, this is not just a no block party. He said, no, there are some things that you say yes to as well. And he said, there are some things. He said yes to being sober. That word sober means to be self-controlled, to be individually governed, to learn how to carry yourself in a right way by yourself. This is important to learn how to carry yourself by yourself, to be self-governed, to be self-controlled. He said you need to learn. He said Jesus teaches us to be self-controlled. Then he said he teaches us to live righteously. That word righteously is like learn how to live with your neighbor without injuring them. That's what this word means. I could use that. I could use some teaching on that. To learn how to live with my neighbor without injuring them. You know what? Sometimes we think in our neighbor is like the person on 203 or the person on 1526. But that your neighbor might be your wife. To learn how to live with your wife without injuring them. To learn how to live with your children without injuring them. To learn how to be a, 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 a kid without injuring your parents. Parents knowing how to live with their children without injuring them. He said to live righteously, to know how to live with your neighbor without causing injury. I I think we can use some teaching. Use some teaching from the Lord in this regard. And then he says to learn how to live godly, say yes to godly things, to to really making a decision. Kind of like I I shared with the men in the men's prayer meeting is that, you know what? Men's prayer meeting is a decision to live godly. It really is. 
because it's going to move you toward being the kind of man God designed you to be. And that therefore you should already know that you're going to men's prayer meeting. You, you should be a part of that. It should be already in your already in your schedule, already in your plan. It shouldn't be a question on whether or not you're going to be here for Sunday school. There shouldn't be a question if you're going to be here Sunday morning service or Sunday evening service. I, he said he teaches us to have a reverence and a worship for God that automatically begins to be a part of your life. Amen. He said that the grace of God teaches us these things. Let me tell you something. The more you put off the ungodliness and the worldly lust. And the more you put on the sober and the righteous and the godly living, you're going to look different. There are observable changes. Being godly, I tell you what, one of the, one of the most fascinating things is, is that in my neighborhood, I admit, I've ne I never saw a human being change. I'm serious, I never saw a person change from being bad to being good. And therefore, I had no, no idea of what that looked like. But I know that when I became a Christian, I knew that the way I was living was not right, but I didn't know what it meant to live right. But I wanted to, and God began to work in my life. And the truth is, is that I didn't have to make myself look different. I didn't have to really put, I didn't have to put on a show. I didn't have to have my guards up all the time. I was just being me. And guess what? God was making me different. He, he began to change me. And he made it very observable. Michael, you look different. And he did it by his grace. He said, Jesus Christ saved me, but it's also Jesus Christ who disciples me. And he said he teaches me. He continuously teaches me in this way. God, by his grace, intended for our lives to have observable changes. And the observable changes God wants to make in our life now is connected to the completion and the perfect change he's going to make in the future. Because when you look at this passage of scripture, he said, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation from the past teaches us in the present to look forward to the future. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, what does that really, what's that tie in with that? And I was sitting there and I, I was just kind of like, oh, how does that fit with going to the barbershop? And this is what came to my mind. If my barber can't make me look good on the first appearance, I'm going to have questions about the second. If that lady mess up your nails the first time, you're going to have questions to go get your nails done a second time. And here Paul is telling them that the fact is, is that the observable changes that God can make in our lives because Jesus already came. It affects our motivation to look forward to his coming. It's like if you did this while you were absent, I can't imagine what you do when you're present. I'm looking forward now. I'm excited. What is it really going to be like to be in the presence of Jesus if he changed me this way in his absence? How much will I be changed in his presence? Amen. And Paul is telling Titus that. 
You know, every time we go to the barbershop, our second, third, and fourth coming depends on the first time. Every time you go get your car fixed, guess what? Your second, third, and fourth time of going to that same shop is dependent on the first coming. Every time you go to the hospital and the way they treat you on the first time depends on whether or not you want to see that doctor the second or the third or the fourth time. And I'm saying this in a real way because the fact is, is that if we think that way about a barbershop, about a car repair, about the hospital, can we not think that way about God? Yeah, you, you think about it, the God who created the universe, if he come inside you and me, can we really not have observable changes? Can we really stay the same when a God of the universe who was not in me comes into me and can I stay the same? I can't. But I do want to say this about what Paul is saying in this passage this year. God's grace accepts you the way you are, but it doesn't leave you the way he found you. That's what Paul is telling us. The grace that appeared saved you, but it didn't just save you. He began to teach you to change you. God's grace accepts everybody the way they are, but it doesn't leave you the way he found you. Come as you are, we say, but don't stay that way. Be changed. And that's what Paul would be telling Titus to preach to the Christians. Hey, you can come just the way you are. And God's grace will save you just the way you are. But that same grace that saves you is the same grace he want to use to change you. Don't stay the way you are, but come as you are. And God really wants that because the truth is the representation of an invisible God is the believers in his church. People do not see God. People see people. They see you. They see me. We're the representation. When you said that you was a Christian, guess what people think? You represent this invisible God. You know what? I'm going to base everything of God on you, even though that's an inaccurate uh, decision. But for the reality is, is that most people are looking to Christians. If God can't change you, why should I come to church? If God can't change I'm telling you one thing. If I look at a guy's haircut, man, I don't even want to know your barber name. If your hair messed up, don't even tell me your barber. I'm like, just keep between you and your bubble. I'm just being honest with you. I'm like that. But you know what's quite interesting about that? Is that when I go to my barber, though, I, I, do, I do this. I do a little advertisement for him. I feel like, hey, you know what? I'm going to be in a representation of your barbershop, man, when I get done with my haircut. I tell him that. And when I tell him, I say, hey, you know what? People are going to ask me, hey, man, who cut your hair? For two reasons. They want to make sure they don't come here. Or they want to come here because you did a good job. And that's the truth. And I tell them that. So I'm like, hey, man, it's all in your hands now. Cut my hair as you will. But people are going to ask questions. And people do ask questions. And guess what? People watching you. They're, they're looking for observable differences. 
Uh, things that are distinct about you, things that are attractive about you, things that say that you have something I need, but I don't have. Observable things. You know, people in prison, one of the biggest things that I used to get from people in prison, they always want to know, how do you have so much peace in this prison? It was an observable difference. I was in prison. I went on lockdown just like they did. I wore the same clothes they wore. I moved around just like them. And guess what? Everything was the same except one thing specifically. They used to wonder, man, you have peace and we don't. It was observable. And they want to know, how do you get that? You know, everyone came in here just as they are. But no one should leave the same way they came. Well, we live in a world that wants God's grace for acceptance, but not for growth. Now, I'm going to say that again. We live in a world that wants God's grace for acceptance, but not for growth. I just want the Lord to accept me and leave me the way I am. I want to live my own life and do my own thing, but that's not God's grace. He didn't save us to do our own thing. He saved us to change us by his teaching. Our world wants to deliver from hell, too without being delivered from sin. We live in that kind of world. They just want to escape hell, but keep their sin. And he didn't die for that. He died, he died to deliver us from sin that sets us free from the punishment of hell. And that's how he designed it. God never had a plan of saving you without a plan to change you. Not only now, but forever. The observable changes God desires to make in your life is one that attracts people to himself. I, I want to say this. This is so important. Where's my friend track at? When I go into the jail in the prison, and um, I got a track. Me and my wife have a track where we're on the front of the picture, and I always pass them out through the prisons. And uh, you know what? When people come to the church services, or I get the chance to witness to some of the guards, do you know? I want you all to understand this is very important. Do you know, most people never say, man, Mike, how did you change so much? That is not the number one question I get. You know the number one question I get? What church do you go to? That is the number one question I get when I go to prison. You know why? They feel like wherever place you go to that's causing you to change, I want to go to that place. They, they want to go to that place. It's like my barber. They want to go to my, where's that barber shop at? They, they're not asking me, hey, how do you get this and that? No, they're saying, where do you get your hair cut? Because of the observable changes, I want you to know that people are always asking me, what church do you go to? You know why? Because in their minds, that is the place that represents the God that you serve. And they want to know, if I came to this place, can he change me like that? If I came set right next to your family, would he change me like that? Or if I sat next to your family, would he change me like that? Could he really make some observable changes in my life? that hopefully they see in you? That's what he's asking him. 
It's the same with God's grace. The more you allow him to make observable changes in your life, the more opportunities you may have to introduce people to Jesus. The more you allow him to change you, I guarantee you, the more opportunities you get to introduce people to Christ. And it happens over and over and over and over and over again. I go get a haircut twice a month. It happens over and over again. Cause why? My hair grow back and man, I start looking rough and I, I keep going back to the same place. Let me tell you, I'm, I'm saying this for a reason. It's because there has to be a serious approach to your church life. Because God designed it to be changing you over and over and over and over again. And it doesn't matter. It has nothing necessarily to do with how much you've grown. It's the fact that you haven't grown all the way to perfection. And because of that, you constantly need more change. Over and over and over again. I, I have to venture that maybe God had me preach this message tonight because some of you are like, I'm tired of getting a haircut. I'm tired of changing. I want to be just, I'm good already. I mean, sometimes when I have to fit my haircut into my schedule, I'm like, man, I really wish my wife was a barber now. But she's not. So I have this attitude where I'm tired. I don't want to go through this no more. I, I, don't, I don't have time for it. I got so much stuff to do, and, and, and guess what? I, I begin to want to put it off and put it off, and guess what? The changes start to slow down. I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to ask you again later on in the message. When was the last time you made an observable change? When was the last time? Something really changed in your life that other people recognize. Something real. When was the last time? I want you to think about it. I know that we don't, I know we don't want no men with no long hair, but spiritually, some of y'all got a wig on. It may be long. And you got to ask yourself, uh, husbands, when the last time your wife recognized a real observable change in your life, or you just been the same? You just know how to. You just know how to put your hair down now and tuck it in and keep it tight, but nothing's changed. When the last time an observable change happened in your life, parents? When was the last time your children felt like, man, I, I saw something really different in my mom and dad? I'm talking about something godly. I'm talking about something that, that really demonstrates a love for the Lord, a love for the things of God, a, a love for people, things that really represent what Paul is talking about. This invisible God working in visible people. When was the last time you experienced a real change in your life? You know, the local church is a place designed for you and I to come meet with God and allow him to teach us 
so that by his grace, observable changes are made. Have you become comfortable? Have you become comfortable with just being saved and stop being changed? Have you become comfortable with just being saved and stop being changed? We're going through a series in our church called Quiet in a Noisy Soul. Quite an interesting series, very powerful. It's been very impactful for our church because what it talks about is how in some ways the voice of God has been drowned out by the noises in our lives. And a lot of those noises start off with primarily an unbelief in God. But then the, the, the second thing that it talks about is discontentment. You know, when you when you have everything going good for you and it seems like Canaan got a good, good structure. There, there are some things happening good and you can just get used to it. And you're like, it's nothing happening here. You, you, you want to go to greener pastures. And it's like, man, we want to go somewhere where it's exciting. And, and you don't even realize that there, there hasn't been a change in you in so long. You're just discontent. You, you think you need to go somewhere else. You don't need to go nowhere else. You just need to say, God. Make these changes in me. God, I got some stuff in me that's really keeping me from making the changes that I know you want me to make in my life. When was the last time there was an observable change? You know, in this passage, true, I didn't get to it, but Paul said that, that told Titus to teach certain things to groups of people. And he began to talk about these groups of people. He said, age men. He, he said, age men, he, he said, now God need to be changing you. But he said, age men, hopefully you're teaching young men. And then he said, the age women teaching younger women. And it made me think that as husbands and as dads, when was the last time something observable changed in you? What about wives and moms? When was the last time something observable changed in you? What about the teen girls? When was the last time you felt like, man, mom and dad, I want to tell you, God has been working in my heart, and these are some changes that he made. Where you just go and tell your parents about some observable changes God is making in your life. The young boys, same thing. Are you, being constant, are you constantly being changed? Enough to help others. I, I, I want to say this to the older people here. It is that one of the one of the dangers that I'm seeing a little bit as I get out in my small little world. Is that I, I'm really beginning to see that a lot of the older people are starting to retire early. And they just giving it to the younger people to take the reign. That's not what the Bible teach. It's almost like the older people like, hey, God, I'm, I'm good. I'm 65 now. Change the young people. I'm just going to hang out, Lord. That's not what the Bible teach. He said the older teach the younger. You know what that means? Older, God still want to change you. He still want to make some observable changes because the truth about the connection of this passage here is that there is an excitement about the Lord Jesus Christ that only can be kept when he's constantly changing your life. 
It's not kept because you know the Bible. It's not even kept because you come to church. It's kept because you know what? There's a reality. It's not that I used to know God's power. It's not that I used to know how thankful God I am to God. It's not that God used to do things. It's like God is at work in my life and it's exciting right now. I don't, I don't live off of, man, you cut my hair last year. Yeah, no, cut my hair good this time. I'm excited about this haircut. And he's telling us in this passage of scripture, Paul is trying to get them to grasp that. And he's telling Titus, preach this, exhort them, teach it to them. Because the fact is, is that when Jesus saved us, he had a plan to change us until he come again. God's grace is provided to save, but it's also provided to change. Are you being changed tonight? Is there something specifically? I'm going to ask you a question. Is there something specifically God spoke to your heart about today? Whether men's prayer meeting, Sunday school, morning service, tonight's service, that he put on your heart and said, hey, you know what? This is something I want you to work on. Maybe it's your language. Maybe it's how you talk. Maybe it's your attitude. Maybe it's the kind of spirit you just have. Maybe it's your involvement or cooperation with the pastor and his vision. Maybe it's getting involved with the direction of the church. Maybe it's getting involved with outreach. And God is saying, hey, I really want you to get involved in such a way. I really want to do something that people can see that you're being changed. Is there anything that you feel like God is speaking to you tonight because the truth is, if you're saved here tonight, God wants to change you. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for invitation.